You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing for Real Vision. I'm Max Wheathy. It is Wednesday, January 27th, just after market close here in New York. I'm joined by Ed Harrison today. But before I speak with Ed, let's kick it over to Peter Cooper for today's stories. Thanks, Max. At the time of this recording, major U.S. indices are down during intraday trading, with the Nasdaq down 1.9%, the S&P 500 a little over 2%, and the Dow Jones 1.7%. However, the major short squeezes of this week are still kicking and screaming, with GameStop up around 124% on the day. And AMC Entertainment Holdings was up an incredible 238%. Other companies where short squeezes are occurring and that retail investors have dogpiled in are BlackBerry, which is up about 30% this week and a little over 25% today. And Bed Bath & Beyond up around 23% on intraday trading. Other instances of speculative fervor arising from our Reddit traders include NIO, the Chinese EV maker, which is down during intraday trading on Wednesday. But its ADR shares are up 1,150% in the past 12 months. Palantir Technologies, which is up over 16% today and has surged over 270% since the company went public this past September. And Plug Power, the hydrogen battery maker, which is up about 750% in the past six months. SK Holdings Company invested $1.5 billion in the company earlier this month, and some hedge funds such as Carisdale Capital Management have betted against the stock. The short squeeze shaking up the U.S. equity markets this week is making its way over to Europe as well. Evotech, the German pharmaceutical company, went up as much as 30% in the past few days and is up around 9% now. Pearson, the British publishing company, is up 12% today. The Polish games developer CD Projekt experienced a 15% jump and is currently trading up around 6%. And Varta, the German company manufacturer, rose around 12% and is up about 6%. Some of these European companies that have been heavily shorted, broadly speaking, were ones that Melvin Capital also had short positions on, Evatech, CD Projekt, and Varta. Melvin Capital had closed out their short position on GameStop yesterday, and the hedge fund had incurred massive losses on their short position. Citadel and Point72 have provided Melvin $2.75 billion to shore up their finances. And to discuss this and more, next we have Max and Ed. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello, Ed. Good to be back. Yes. Uh, very big days in the market. And I, you saw, I saw that you retweeted my tweet. Today is going to be all about not exactly what's going on in the market, but what the market represents today. I'm thinking the fourth turning Neil House theory. I'm thinking of this as a Robin Hood revolt. Okay. 
So Robin Hood revolt, meaning that this is a, a generational conflict. So with the you know established Melvin Capital types representing the you know prior generations who ostensibly have put um, millennials and Gen Z and the generations to follow in this position, and that the you know what we're seeing from the Wall Street bets and retail community is a form of of revolt um, against them. Yeah, exactly. That you know basically. Oh, we've had succeeding uh, debt cycles that have been more and more calamitous. And it ended in 2008 with a great financial crisis uh, at 0% interest rates and quantitative easing. So all of the potential that you can have to leverage up as uh, someone who uh, could buy a home and uh, use leverage uh, to have the appearance of more wealth came to an end in 2008. So anyone who was in, say, the, uh, the Gen Y generation, they could have benefited from some of that upside. The baby boomers benefited throughout the entirety of that upside. The millennials and Gen Z, all they've seen downside risk, all the, the, the crack up of that boom. And we're seeing another crack up in the pandemic and everything that's associated with that now. And so this whole uh, mania, if you look at it in the context of markets, say 1999 equivalent, you could say, okay, this is a mania, this is terrible, um, you know, it's gonna end badly. But at the same time, I think it's a manifestation of people, you know, being fed up with the system in the way that it is, the way that it's been generated. And, you know, they're trying to get what's, gettable while they can. The irony, of course, is the stocks that it's playing out in are perhaps the old economy stocks that that maybe you would associate with the prior generations, uh, maybe that they're looking back on fondly. I remember going to GameStop and uh, the movies and uh, even owning a BlackBerry. Um, but I, I certainly associate those sorts of things more with prior generations. So I, I do think that that is an ironic twist, that it isn't the uh, the Zooms, um, and and new tech stocks that they that they're picking at this point in time that previously people were sort of highlighting as retail fervor. The retail fervor has switched back to to these sort of old school names. Yeah, I'm going to have an interview with Dan Swarn. Uh, he is a, a debt investor who looks at things like distressed and things of that nature, and we're going to be talking about uh, AMC as the as the new Hertz. You know, because if you think back to Hertz, it, they were actually bankrupt uh, last year, and people were talking about uh, bidding their their stock price up. This that was a precursor to what's happening right now. AMC is not actually bankrupt. In fact, the bidding up of AMC has allowed them to uh, miss bankruptcy. There was an article on uh, Bloomberg earlier today that that AMC. Uh, says bankruptcy is off the table now because it has fresh funds. It got $917 million uh, so that it can go deep into 2021 without any fear of bankruptcy. So they won't end up like Hertz. And, and the Robinhood crowd is directly responsible for that. They're the ones who are lifting the share price. And today, AMC was up a gargantuan 300%. And and I now the nine hundred million that you're talking about was that in the debt markets because I saw something as well saying that they that they raise in the equity market. So I mean, yeah, yeah, no, no, they they raised. Uh, this was all the the money that they raised. They did uh, financing of uh, of equity there as well.
Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, to me, that makes the most sense if you're taking advantage of these massive stock price rises. I mean, debt you have to pay it back, but in this right. case, you're just you're just selling selling shares, diluting these shareholders, most of whom uh, I would say not that corporate managers feel much obligation to their to their long term shareholders. Maybe in these sorts of secondary capital raising. Um, Periods, but you know, somebody. I wouldn't feel too bad about selling selling shares uh, and maybe diluting somebody who bought AMC two days ago. Um, just you know, with with these YOLO call options. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see how many people capitalize on this to actually actually raise some some cash. Which you know, for so long we talked about companies buying back stock um, at the wrong times, and and we've seen it actually. Other companies uh, have been taking advantage of these these price rises to to raise capital in the equity market, which really has been kind of missing for so long. Well, think about it in, as a liquidity, like the Fed, if the Fed gives you a bailout, you know, you get liquidity from the Fed. This is the equivalent of a bailout from the market, the, uh, the people's bailout, if you will. AMC, basically, they were running into liquidity problems. Uh, the uh, Wall Street bets and Robinhood crowd came to the rescue by bidding their stock up. They issued uh, shares, and now they've issued so many shares that they have so much money that bankruptcy is off the table. Not only have their shares risen on the back of that, because the tail risk of bankruptcy uh, is now very much a tail risk, but also their debt has risen. You know, The second lien notes on uh, AMC are, are way up as a result of all of this that's going on. But I guess my question would be, you know, you, you call it a revolt. Usually there's a goal to a revolt. Um, some of them have, have good goals and some of them don't. I mean, why would AMC be the champion of these people? And is it really a smart bet? I, you know, Mike Green has talked about Bitcoin being an expression of this opt out. We want to opt out from the system because it has put us at, at such a disadvantageous spot. Um, his argument is that it, yes, it, it is an expression of that, but perhaps it isn't going to achieve the goal of you know improving everyone's lot in society. It improves the first movers and whatnot. And, and the same thing could be said here. It does Im improve the lot of the first movers, but does it in any way fix the problems that are really what's causing the fourth turning to happen? And, and that's my question for you, Ed, is, is this a positive revolt in that way, in that it, it is moving us towards you know the unwinding of this fourth turning and the starting of a new generational cycle, or is this you know sort of tilting at windmills? We'll find out, but I'll give you an example. So great financial crisis happened. Uh, then we uh, Barack Obama came onto the scene with the slogan, change you can believe in. Now, what's interesting is, is that slogan, change you can believe in, is really when you think about it, it's really it, it's a it's a it's a homage to the status quo, is it not? I mean, when you say that you can believe in, it would suggest that we're not going to do so much change that uh, you can't believe in it. We're going to do just enough. We're going to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? So Barack Obama comes in. He takes guys like Tim Geithner, who was who was at the New York Fed when the whole thing uh, went bust. He makes him his Treasury Secretary, takes Larry Summers, one of the triumvirate, you know, uh, w during the Clinton administration, who was on the cover with Greenspan and Rubin for saving the world. And he makes them the centerpiece of his economic team. Lo and behold, uh, you get these these bailouts. No one gets prosecuted. And people like myself, who I was a blogger at the time, 
uh, Geithner, he has a meeting with uh, with people like me, you know, and he asks us, you know, what do you want to do? Like, but the whole concept was to placate uh, people. It was to say, we're listening to what you have to say. Uh, we hear you, but nothing changed. Nothing happened. It was exactly the same thing. So all that bloviating uh, on the blogosphere about this or that didn't change policy one iota. The banks got bailed out. Uh, Dick Fold of Lehman Brothers, he walked off scot-free with his hundreds of millions of dollars. So fast forward uh, 12 years later, 13 years later, and we have what I'm calling the Robin Hood revolt. It's the exact same sort of thing. It's the same sort of people in the sense that back 12, 13 years ago, we were saying we want changes, not just change that you believe in, but real change, and nothing happened then. This time, it's really all about showing the system, look, you know, the, the, we can play your game. We can actually play your game as well as you can play it, and we can blow some of you guys up at the same time. If you don't give us what we want, then we're going to play it this way, and you're not going to like it. Yeah, but you know, my I, I am not sure I fully buy the narrative that it's all Robin Hood. Do, do you think that there aren't hedge funds in the world who haven't piled into this trade just as much that that could be considered, you know, in in this framework that that we're discussing here, really more on the side of the Melvins uh, of the world? You know, there there are no there's no honor amongst thieves. Um, I, the, I find it hard. At the end of the day, you know, when we talk about individual situations within the the broad sweep of something uh, like a fourth turning, you're not going to be able to disaggregate it and and you know, segmented specifically that this event is definitely uh, representative of this particular trend and this event is representative of that trend. What we're talking about is a, a movement across time. And what I'm saying is, is as uh, I'm saying that this, as much as anything, represents a another move in the direction of anger at uh, the establishment, at the the status quo. Yeah, sure. Uh, you could have uh, some people uh, get in there from the hedge fund community taking advantage of it. And also remember, we're in the middle of a potentially a mania, uh, and this is as much a representation of the psychology of the tail end of a bubble, and therefore it's it's very much of a mania. But I'm saying I also see in this a intergenerational sort of clash where people are very upset. Uh, in a way that I don't think was necessarily the case in 1999. You know, if you looked at 99, 2000, there wasn't this overlay of people saying, you know what, you boomers and you uh, great generation who saved us in World War II, we hate you and you've made our lives miserable and now we're going to try to uh, take advantage of it in any way we can. That's what's happening now, much more so than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. So I guess my question is, you know, how is this going to continue to manifest itself? I'm sure there will be some evolution of this sort of Robin Hood revolt. It won't just be jamming short sellers. Uh, you know, Carson Block just came out and said that, you know, they sort of noticed this happening a little bit and started closing out their shorts. And, you know, they mentioned they were fortunate enough not to be short GameStop or some of these other stocks. It was a, it was another, you know, not one of the names that's being talked about now, but they saw some of this stuff building and they, they got to flatten and, and he's really thinking about like what's next. And so I'm sure other short sellers will probably, you know, make similar moves. And that begs the question, you know, how is this going to manifest itself next? We've had some people talk about 
these people were making money in 2022, and this might be the first time that they have to pay, you know, short-term capital gains tax. And come tax time, uh, they might have to sell equities, some of these equities that they have that are that are high, to actually pay those tax bills from 2020. So that's one of the things that people have already talked about about how this this dynamic could manifest itself. But I'm interested in you know the ways that you think this could evolve moving forward. I mean. My view is similar to uh, Tommy's view yesterday, Tom Thornton, uh, when he said that, uh, you know, sizing wise, uh, these guys are getting it all wrong. I mean, there may be some anger and that's all positive. But at the end of the day, someone's going to get hurt. OK, so this thing can go on for some time. You can go from uh, GameStop. Uh, you can go to AMC. You can go to Nokia. You can go to BlackBerry, but eventually you're going to run out, and and you know there's going to be there are going to be bills to pay, uh, and then at some point uh, it's going to reverse and go in the opposite direction. We already have seen a, a massive uh, uh, correction in shares today out of nowhere. It's it, not a real correction, but just you know two percent down. That can gather steam over a period of time. So I don't think that this uh, this Robin Hood revolt is go anywhere in the sense of it's going to actually come to fruition in a way that shows the man uh, that the uh, you know the comeuppance has, has happened any more than in 2008 the blogosphere was able to change policy and and and, and write uh, things so that people who actually caused the financial crisis uh, paid for the financial crisis. What I think is going to happen is is that the anger will metastasize and it will take new forms. And this will continue to go on until uh, we get a crack up of the system that, that exists as it is today, or um, you know, there are changes that are made that are, are real, not just change you can believe in, but actual real fundamental deep-rooted changes that create a much more inclusive uh, economic environment. I'll give you an example of the way that I'm thinking about this, just from the fourth turning perspective. A friend of mine uh, uh, called me up almost crying, saying, you know, I I thought I had a good health insurance, but I just I went to uh, the CBS and I need this, this. You know, I have this gastrointestinal problem and I need this drug. And they're telling me I have to pay five hundred dollars for this drug. Uh, I don't know what to do. Ed, help me out. What do I do here? And I was like, you know, there are a lot of people who would never be able to pay the $500. You, you should just pay the money. You have the, the funds to be able to pay it. Pay the money. This is your health. You, you cannot mess around with your health. Do it. And uh, my friend listened, hung up the phone and said, thanks. I'll, I will do that. But think about this. That's, that's the situation that many people are living in. That's what we're talking about. In the middle of a pandemic, people losing their insurance. This person, friend of mine, had their insurance. But people who don't even have their insurance, who don't know where their next paycheck's coming from. How is it possible that the richest country in the world exists in a system like that? That's what people are sick and tired of. That's what they want to change. To me, I'm saying this is a small manifestation of that. That's why I'm thinking of it from the fourth turning perspective. Yeah, well, Ed, I don't see anything on the immediate horizon that that will alleviate that problem. And so it seems to me that there will be uh, sort of a drag out of, of, for lack of a better word, the Robin Hood revolt. And you know, I think that there is enough time that there could be some sort of regulatory crackdown in some way. And 
And they've chosen that Robinhood is the scapegoat. It's not going to be the hedge funds. It's not going to be the market makers. It's not going to be the the prime brokers who allowed um, who who allowed GameStop to get to over 130 percent of float uh, being short. That they're not going to be the ones. The the problem child has been determined to be retail. Um, and so you know, I think that it could again come back on this generation or. I mean, th- there's people of all ages doing it, but but the people who are the ones revolting before there is any anything that that resolves the fundamental underlying issues that are that are causing uh, this this sort of action. Therefore, th- therefore, the fourth turning, right? It I just mean, and it just that, keeps compounding. So that, I, don't, I don't see the whole, that's the whole point. So uh, the and by the way, I spoke to Neil Howe uh, at the beginning of 2020. So about this time. Last year, I had an interview with him. If anyone's watching this, they should watch that interview on this platform. Very interesting uh, comments they had to make. But the the uh, Neil Howe basically is looking at 1929 as the apogee of the third phase and the beginning of the fourth phase, and it it lasted all the way in, through World War II. So you're looking at a entire 16 year period during which this uh, seismic uh, change was happening. A whole Great Depression, uh, you know, the rise of fascism, war, destruction, and collapse for some societies, and then rebuilding after 1945. So 16 years. Where are we in that period right now? That's the question. Did it begin with the great financial crisis? Is it beginning now? Uh, I think it's something to think about. That is to the degree that you believe that the fourth turning has any merit as a framework in terms of thinking about how these these uh, successions happen. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Well, there was a crash of approximately 10 years before the. Uh... But before the the nineteen twenty nine crash too, so there are some similarities where you had, uh, I think it was the gentleman's panic, uh, is what they called it, um, because it only really affected affected the rich. And you could say, you know, some people did did lose it all in the great financial crisis. But the the degree with which the coronavirus crisis has has clearly affected um, you know, lower income people more versus the you know, the sort of K shaped recovery. Um, narrative. It, th- there is some similarities there. I guess, Ed, my, my next question would be, this isn't the only example of what could be you know, put into this Robin Hood revolt category. I mean, what are the other market phenomena that we've seen really uh, since, since coronavirus that you think embody this? I mean, there are trends that we've been talking about. Is it you know, the high-flying SaaS names, the Teslas of the world, uh, the, the Bitcoin rally? Do you lump them all really into this uh, Robin Hood revolt category of potentially you know, examples of how the fourth turning is playing itself out in the market? No, I, I look at those as manifestations of a building uh, speculative wave that's become a mania that's going to pop in a very bad way. Uh, and that people who haven't sized their positions, their bets accordingly, they're going to get hurt. They're going to get run over. They're going to lose their life savings. It's going to be a horrible experience. That's what I think. Um, you know, this whole particular event is very much separate from that in the sense that this is the first time that I've seen this whole 
mania-like activity in the markets turn itself into an intergenerational type of thing. I actually was talking about uh, what I just said, the first thing I said about how people are going to get run over and get hurt, that this is almost like gambling. I, I, I wrote this, and you know, people were coming back at me from the Robin Hood crowd, from the Wall Street bets crowd, call, saying, okay, boomer, one, one guy said. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not even close to a boomer, but it's. But that's the kind of 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 you know sentiment that's going on here. That's the animus that's behind it, and that's the first time seen with regard to the particular part of the the mania. Well, this isn't you know the the short squeeze is a new addition, but Ro Wall Street bets has been around for for a while now, and they've been using I've been weaponizing call options to force market makers to buy, you know, the underlying in mostly a liquid sort of mid micro cap stocks where, you know, you go buy a, a whole bunch of options um, in that market, you know, somebody's going to have to, somebody's going to have to go, go hedge that. Um, so, you know, but this no, really I would, has I been would, happening uh, for a while. That's slightly differently. It's sli slightly different than that. Uh, this is something that a lot of people have forgotten, you know, because it was four or five months ago. But you remember the whole gamma squeeze thing that people we were talking about in in the uh, July, I think it was July, August time frame. Uh, basically, the question was, was this a, as a result of SoftBank and the activity that they were engaged in? And I think that the conclusion that seemed most likely to me was actually that this whole um, gamification of the market at that particular time was actually uh, much more responsible for the price action than SoftBank. That SoftBank was taking on a strategy which involved uh, longer dated uh, positions that had less convexity in them. There was less gamma as a result of that. There was less delta hedging necessary. And as a result, it didn't have the, the massive forced buying uh, by the dealer community involved. But in that particular case, we were talking about Apple, we were talking about uh, Facebook, we were talking about Google and the high flyers of, of the day. Now we've moved on from that, that trade, uh, which was a big thing that people were talking about five months ago, to another. Now people are, we've become uh, the, the bottom feeding that happened with regard to Hertz, which was a bankrupt co company, has turned into let's merge Hertz and the uh, gamma squeeze stuff that we did with Apple into one massive trade, uh, uh, and and let's go from one stock to the next on those. And we can't do it with Hertz because they're already bankrupt, but you can get more juice out of um, you know the likes of AMC if these companies uh, like AMC uh, they're able to raise money on the back of this. You know, this trade actually could go on much longer than you or I think that it could go on. So it is a very interesting development to in in terms of the liquidity that's being that's being put forward. And it's not necessarily the GameStop people who are actually providing the liquidity for these companies, right? Who are you know, if I IPO or sorry, if I issue a secondary into the market, it's not that you know the Wall Street bets crowd is giving me the money. It's the Wall Street crowd that's giving me the money. And they're being yeah, forced to do so as a result of the activity of Wall Street bets.
See, I hear what you're saying about um, about the the sort of large cap stocks and and the you know soft bank conjecture that was going on at that point in time. But the reason we heard about that and not Wall Street bets in the same way they were hearing about it now was because it was moving the indices. It was affecting the market in a way that it could not be ignored. Well, this stuff was happening in the small cap names, but it was being ignored because it wasn't affecting the market back then. Nobody was in small cap stocks, and we had to rotate. You know, we had the rotation into into these other names that people weren't in. And now it's affecting the the big boys. And that's why we're hearing about it now. But it was happening before. No, no, and I would I would disagree with that. Uh, if you look at the volumes, the volumes that we're talking about in OTC, OTC volumes, as an example, are massive as compared to where they were uh, before. So if you look at volumes from August and then you compare them to volumes in December, much higher volumes uh, for these uh, over-the-counter stocks for penny stocks as well. So this move into these uh, um, these smaller cap names, these beaten down names, has been aggressively ramping up over time. And there's been a move from large cap tech and moving that to the reverse. Because actually, if you look at the markets, I, I have it on my screen, you know, the Dow was down 633 points. NASDAQ was down 335. That's 2.61% today uh, on the back of supposedly, you know, amid uh, concerns about the vaccine rollout, as people always say, amid. But the yeah. point being is, is that the markets were the, the bigger market was moving in the opposite direction of these stocks. You know, AMC was up 300%, whereas, you know, the Dow was down 2%. The NASDAQ was down 2.6%. So you could say that the broader market doesn't care about what's happening in AMC because it's not affecting what's happening, as we can see that they're moving in the opposite direction. Well, there's some arguments to be made that people have to sell what they have that's up to to cover these shorts. And so some of it is is the, the shorts getting beat up and, and selling, and they have to sell to cover so they don't get completely blown up. Perhaps. But the, the point being that uh, when we saw it happening, in August, what we saw is, you know, large cap tech going up and the market going up a lot as a result of the overweight in the S&P and the NASDAQ of those particular names. Now, what we're seeing is companies that are not a, a large percentage of the market, like AMC, going up and the market is actually not going with them at the same time. So very different dynamic. Okay. Well, Ed, I think it's an interesting framework to, to put this in the perspective of, of the fourth turning and the intergenerational conflict that has certainly, you know, OK Boomer long predates uh, GameStop's, you know, big short squeeze. So it certainly hasn't started here, but it is it is very visible and, and visceral in, in this in this context. So I think it's interesting to put it in that framework. And I'll be looking out for more examples of, of this sort of fourth turning dynamic playing out in the market over the course of 2021. So thank you for, for bringing this, this context here. Yeah. And always a pleasure to talk to you, Max. Uh, I'll, I'll be looking for it myself as well. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.